Episode 75, The Power of Decision and Playfulness with Dr. Bowen White. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today Deb, myself, and guest Dr. Bowen White continue our discussion from the previous episode. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I would suggest starting with episode 74 and then joining us back here for the second half of our conversation. In this week's episode, we will further explore individual perspective, choice, purpose, and the significance of playfulness. You, you see what you look for. <laughs> you, you focus on the flaw, you see the flaw. Focus at the light that's in there. Just see it. You'll find the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and what I'm taking for myself is, that means when I wake up, I have a story that I'm looking for the light. In you. In me. And I'm looking for the light in others. Mm-hmm. To be a, a choice in this space. Oh, say more about that. At choice. Well, like, there's a way to get up in the morning, the way to go through things where I'm going to get through it, I'm going to get out of it, I'll get done, this will be over with. Or it's a space of like, no, I'm going to I'm going to choose to be here. I'm going to choose to look for the strengths, the, the, the gifts, the, the light. I'm going to look for, I'm choosing that, right? And choosing my partner, choosing my space, to be a choice about that. Versus getting up and drifting hmm. with whatever news or whatever you read or whatever's around you or just that reflection in the mirror. But in that space to be a choice of saying, and this is what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. You radiant being. Get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, you radiant being. being. <laughs> and your wife is in the other room. Ron, <laughs> are you okay? Do we need to go somewhere now? <laughs> and she may become like that with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I write about someone that had a big impact on me named Evie McDonald, who was a nurse once. So I was involved with the American Holistic Medical Association. I was actually involved as a founding member, as a student, medical student in 1978 and continued to be involved with this new medical organization where I found other lunatics like myself that were interested in treating the whole person and also had a belief system that the maybe the greatest untapped resource in healthcare is inside the patient, which is my bias. And Evie McDonald did a workshop with our board and Evie McDonald was a nurse and worked in an intensive care unit with other suffering people and ended up getting ill and ended up in an intensive care unit herself and was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and told she had six months to live. So her story was, she was in a wheelchair and she decided if I've only got six months to live, I want to make them the best six that I ever had. How am I going to make them the best six? And every day she would wheel her wheelchair up to the mirror and she looked at herself 
in the mirror, naked in the mirror. And she saw all the flaws, all the flaws. And she worked through that process to eventually be loving and accepting of the person that was looking back at her in the mirror. And when that happened, she decided that the best thing to do with the six months that I have is to be loving and accepting of everybody I meet, in spite of their flaws. And she had her best six, and then another six, and then another six, and another six, and another six, and Evie McDonald still with us. And that ability to get to that place why wait for cancer why wait till your kid gets sick why wait till the marriage is on the rocks why wait you know what can you do to be loving and accept i mean the but you know dalai lama said it what's required in the world is love and compassion and love and acceptance you know this is this is work we can choose. We can choose. But, you know, remember what Virginia Satir said. When we think we have no choice but to do X, check out how you're feeling about yourself. Who's running the engine of your psyche? Which one? Your scared guy, your scared gal, or that other part of you, that mysterious part of you? It has a we have the capacity to be fearful and we have the capacity to be loving. And sometimes when we don't like how we're feeling, what, who's, who's, a, who's in the driver's seat of the psyche? <laughs> it's a great noticing to when we're in that space, when we're not feeling enough, we're not being that, just to notice who's driving here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Just to notice that that makes the world a difference. So, Bowen, Deb, did you have any other questions? I was going to jump to the, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm great. The, the, this is kind of our fun part of the conversation. We get a chance oh, to. I wait a minute. To have fun. The whole, <laughs> the whole part of it was fun. So yeah. I'm going to. Okay, so maybe we should say lighter. I think we'll okay. go lighter. What is your favorite movie and why? Oh, geez. Well, there's so many. Mary Poppins is hard to beat. Of course, I've had a crush on Julie Andrews forever. You know, I love the, just so many movies. I love, you know, going way, an old movie. I love Humphrey Bogart. You know, he's in Morocco and, and the people that are supporting the wrong side are trying to get him to reveal secrets that he refuses to, and he ends up at not really risking his own life to save a guy that was trying to help suffering people, suffering under the Nazis. And I love that movie, and I love them, him walking off with the, the former police guy. The airplane takes off, taking this wonderful humanitarian off with his wife, a woman that he loved, that Humphrey Bogart's character loved, but he knew the right thing to do. He did the right thing. I, that's, I love that movie. I love Willy Wonka and the 
Chocolate Factory. I love I love Grand both of those. Budapest, Grand Budapest Hotel. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. With so like I, I, I tie in Moonlight Kingdom is one of the best. Oh sure. Yep. Sure. Yeah, it's that's a great show. Yeah. Yeah. He's a hoot. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Deb, what's your favorite movie for today? The Princess Bride has always been my favorite movie since I saw it. And that story of true love, right, is like that's what persevered throughout the whole thing. And even, you know, even when Wesley is fighting the dread pirate Roberts, is fighting the giant, right? Like they could be friends about it, you know? When he was working with the everybody, they could they could be peaceful and civilized, even though they were supposed to be at war with each other, and he was supposed to be a bad person. But it's really that story of like true love brought everything through, and that happens to be my husband's favorite movie too. So when it comes on, we cannot, oh. we have to stop and yeah. watch it for the ten yeah. thousandth time. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Ron? I I can relate. Thanks. We've covered Mary Poppins already and Princess Bride, which are both great movies, uh, up in my top 10. But the one I would say is number one is Shawshank Redemption. Oh, you know, I was thinking about that when you said your husband and you, whenever Shawshank Redemption comes on, we got to watch we it. We got to watch it. And there's there's a space of love between the men and inside there. It's not a, it's not a romantic love. It's, it's purely a, that they accept each other who they are and who they are not. And they learn and they grow and they become something inside there. And the, the trust that's built between them is just phenomenal. And I think it's a wonderful example of love and acceptance. Yeah. I wish it would keep going when he gets there. The, the, I wanted it to keep going. Why are you stopping it now? Let's, let's, let's build a boat in a hotel. Let's move on. Let's get it going, right? <laughs> Funny. Well, thank you. So, Bowen, like I don't want to, I don't want to step over this. Twenty-seven years ago, you said something, and you were—I I fully hold—you were being yourself. You were up in front of the room. You were being yourself. You were doing what you do, and that story has stuck with me and changed my life. So, for that, I say thank you for being you, and thank you mm-hmm. for being on our podcast today, and the difference that you've made in the world. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one. So, with that, I say thank you. And I thank want to you. thank you too. And but I, I'm curious because you have a book. You have a book out. Oh yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more about that book uh, so that other people can look it up and see what's see what you're doing? Well, the book is called Why Normal Isn't Healthy. I am a recovering normal person. <laughs> I used to be normal. Now I'm out of the closet. And it's why normal isn't healthy, how to find heart, meaning, passion, and humor on the road most traveled. And the whole idea, the things that I've been talking about are all part of the book. I wrote the book because I would go and speak places and people would say, well, I wish my husband were here and my boss were here or my kid was here, or, you know. So. so I wrote the book because of that. And the idea was, why wait for the life-stopping trauma to take a look at your life, to take a look at the first reel of your life? I, I use the model that life is a movie. Now movies are all at one reel because of 
digital stuff. But when I was a kid growing up, there were two reels to the movie. The first reel, then you had intermission. And then after intermission was the second reel of the movie. And intermission is when you got your popcorn, candy, pop, you know, whatever, jujubes, juicy fruits, you know, slow poke, um, <laughs> you know. And, and so I used the metaphor that life's a movie. The first reel of the movie begins when we're born. And that is, you know, we're giving a script, we're giving direction, and we act out our life in the first reel, R-E-E-L, of the movie. And in my practice, I saw people at the intermission of their lives because they they had an excuse to come see me because they had a world-stopping event. And that's when I decided to do these hour-and-a-half visits with every patient. And the idea at intermission is, you know, you can look back over the first reel of your life and see how you got to be where you are as a grown-up. And you may now be a grown-up with cancer. So I would take people through that their life until they came to see me. I would ask all the questions so I could see the first reel of their movie. And we could connect the dots and see the logic of them being exactly the person they are. Now, that's the one that they, you know, were acting out the life. They were given a script. They were given direction. Their producers were their parents. And now, in intermission, the work becomes, what do you want to keep doing that you've been doing? What do you want to stop doing that you've been doing? What's most important to you? And what do you want to try again? You may have failed at. You know, you now, because your world has stopped, the status quo of your life is broken, you get to create a status novus, a new, you get to write your own script. You're not meant to be an extra in everyone else's film, okay? We're all star stuff. Nobody is meant to be just an extra in everybody else's film. Everybody has their own story in their head. Everybody has, Mm -hmm. we're all star stuff. We actually are star stuff. What is, makes us up. We are star stuff, but we don't feel like it. Second reel of the movie, what you notice is what's more important gets more attention. What's urgent gets less attention, (laughs) What's most important to people are their relationships. Everything gets done to rela- through relationships. How we lead, serve, parent, sell, mentor, coach. Everything gets done through relationships. So we need to start with relationship with self. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Letting people see the logic I gather people together at the beginning of the book talking about stress and how we all are born dependent and taught to be codependent. Codependency is a reference to the fact that we're externally referenced. 
the alcoholic parent comes in the front door. Everybody else is externally focused on dad if he happens to be the alcoholic because his mood drove the mood of the rest of the family. Mm. So one person's dependent, the rest of the family's codependent. But the fact is, all animals are codependent. All animals are externally referenced. We needed to be externally referenced to be able to evolve into human beings, to be able to survive threats from the environment. But we learned to be externally referenced and internally neglectful in the first reel of the movie. In fact, that's when we learned to be that concerned with getting your own needs met is to be selfish. So we move from being outer directed and internally neglectful to coming inside our own heart and find discovering what is most important to us and allowing what's in our own hearts to be the driver of our behavior on the world stage. So the trajectory of one's life moves from outside in to inside out. And what that means is that when you no longer give away power and control to allow others to drive your behavior and mood, other people may wonder what's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So you, you need to have support on your journey to risk living a life out of your own center. And, and, and that means you would need other people to travel with. I mean, Rumi is, I have a lot of Rumi poetry in the book. Coleman Barks happens to be a translator of Rumi poetry, and he happens to be a friend that I met along the road, and this is an amazing job. People could just not read Why Normal Isn't Healthy. They could just read Rumi poetry and would probably get more than they would out of my book. But Rumi, one of his poems is, if you are separated from those in spiritual labor, you are thrown down. You are a part without its whole. And if the enemy of ecstasy finds anyone cut off from that whole, he experiences him all alone, and we need other people on our journey. And this is a spiritual journey in a sense, because it's not necessarily in keeping with secular values. And the way we learn to be in the world, it's recognizing that we need to be in the world, but being in it in a different way that has heart, meaning, and passion for us. And even if other people wonder what's wrong with us, we're able to do the right thing. And we need other people that are going to support us doing the right thing because other people are not going to buy what we're selling. So having that community of people that you're on this journey with, I think is hugely important. That means keeping your, again, energy follows attention. On your, in your relational horizon, look for other lunatics. People that are suspiciously healthy and say, you know, Deb, I'd kind of like to take you to coffee because I think there's something going on with you that I'd like to get some more of. And if you don't mind, could I have a cup of coffee with you? Would you fit me into your busy schedule? You know, there are people out there that are as crazy as you two. And, you know, it's a... I call it a nutworking thing. You know, nutworking, you have to find <laughs> other nuts that, that you know, are a little askew and, you know, that may, there's something going on with them you want to get next to. 
And and so the book is you, there's there's a lot in the book that when I recognized that I didn't know anything at the age of 23 and a college graduate with the military stuff behind me and was doing this adventure that I'd been thinking of doing for four years, which is to go see some of the world that I hadn't seen and which meant going abroad. I was in Morocco and one month into my journey for that one, one month, I had been doing things and I thought, boy, it'll be really fun to share this with Ron. If I tell him about this, you know, that would really be cool. And I wasn't really present where I was. I was doing stuff that I thought would really be something that would be cool to share with other people. Mm. And, and I, I was depressed. And I thought, okay, I'm on my big adventure. You know, what's the problem? Why would I be depressed? I'm in Marrakesh. Then I thought different language, food, religion, culture, everything I knew was back home. I knew what other people said they knew, but what did I know for sure? And I had that, that Socratic moment. I didn't know anything. I knew what other people said they knew. I didn't. What did I know? Wow. And that, that, was, that was a bottom. And that bottom, I left in December of 69, so this would be January of seventy. That bottom, I thought, okay, if I don't know anything, that's a, that's a good, firm foundation. If I don't know anything, then anybody could teach me something. But I won't believe what they say without testing it to see if it's true for me. And I'll build my house of self, experiential brick by experiential brick, being open to what's happening in the world where I am right now, and take it in and test what they say to see if it's true for me. So there's a lot in the book, some of which I've been thinking about since then. <laughs> and that's why I say when I'm speaking, do not believe anything I say. It might be wrong. Remember the sign on my door. Caution, beware, doc. <laughs> I make mistakes every day. Believe nothing without testing. Yes. And I give my disclaimer everywhere I speak because it's true. It might be a mistake. Test it. See if it's true for you. And the things that I've talked about in this time that we've had together, one thing that we really haven't touched on is the definition of health that I use, which is the ability to work, to love, to play, and to think soundly. And I stole it from the guy that wrote Growing Young, Ashley Montague, a cultural anthropologist. And he's the one that taught me about neoteny. Neoteny is a word that means, for physical anthropologists, the retention of immature physical characters into adulthood. And in the book, I show a picture of an immature chimpanzee and looks like a little kid with a flat face, you know, and extra hair. And then next to that is a picture of an adult chimpanzee and this large mandible juts out forward because the flat facies of the child is gone because the 
chimpanzee doesn't retain the immature physical character into adulthood. So that's, and, and neoteny is also connected to our very long period of childhood, longer than any other critter. So this cultural anthropologist took that idea and he said, well, the evolutionary intelligence is trying to tell us something about neoteny. And that is that what we're supposed to be doing is to retain the immature behavioral characteristics of the child throughout development, plasticity, authenticity, playfulness, curiosity, that we're supposed to stay in touch with those wonderful traits of the child throughout the life cycle and to stay in a developmental process our whole lives, whereas most people slip into a box long before they're dead. They learn how to compensate for their feelings of inadequacy. They've done their important grown-up learning they're making money, they put money aside for retirement, they save money maybe for kids to go to college, and, and they just keep repeating behavior sets that they've already learned, and they grow old. But mm. what he's saying, we're meant to grow young. And the definition, the ability to work, to love, to play, and to think soundly, I think is pretty interesting. I like that, because that means someone can be healthy if they have cancer or if they have heart disease, or if they have diabetes, or if they have mental illness. The ability to work, to love, to play, and to think soundly. But it's hard to be healthy, to think healthy, if you're scared one's doing the thinking. It's hard to do the loving if the scared one is doing the loving. Except. It's hard to do really great work, you know, if the scared one is doing the work. You get burned out because it'll never be enough. And the scared one has a little problem being playful, you know, because being a grown-up is really serious. Four-year-old laughs 40 times a day, 40-year-old four, maybe, I don't know, some numbers. So that part, what I have not talked about is the importance of being playful. And being playful means that you take the golden rule and you turn it around. Do unto others would they what they would have you do unto them. You know, some people call that the platinum rule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Being playful means being present in the moment, being open to all the possibilities of the moment, carrying a, a idea of fairness. If it's not fair, it's not play in terms of original play. I'm not talking about the kind of play we grew up learning how to do. Yeah, our kids need to know how to compete for Pete's sakes. You know, it's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? You know, Have either of you ever seen a dog eating another dog? I know. I've never seen the dog eating another dog thing. But that's the kind of play we learn how to do. It's part of normal not being healthy. In order to feel good, we got to beat somebody else. But this other kind of play is a, a play where you're trying to make the thing that feels good last as long as possible. Like the play that two kids, one's a little older and stronger than the other, and they're playing together, and without being taught, the older child will handicap him or herself in their playing together because if he or she expressed all of their competence in their playing together, play would end. So they Mm -hmm. handicap themselves to make the thing that feels good last as long as possible. So that's the quality of play that I think is connected to that mysterious part of us. That 
that I think it's connected to our spirituality. Being present, being open, being fair, and wanting the thing that you're doing to be mutually enjoyable. To make it last as long. Make it last as long as possible. I love that play. And thing is, it's one of the things we don't have to be taught how to do. We learn how to do original play without being taught. So I end the book talking about play. And it's tied in. Also, you know, the, the movie Tuesday with Maury, mm-hmm. the book. The book, Tuesday with Maury. I think it's a, maybe a movie too. I don't know. But there's a book, Tuesday with Maury. And this guy's got ALS. And his student finds out. Ted Koppel's show late at night. He sees his former professor, Maury, has ALS. So he goes to visit Maury because, you know, he's dying of ALS. And he has, this guy meant so much to him. He was his important professor. And then once a week, he keeps going back. And at the end of the life, at the end of, you know, he's close to dying. And and Maury says, "If if you could go back and be the way you were, before you got ALS, would you want to do it? And you know what he says? He says, no, I, I wouldn't. Because it's, it's made me look at what's most important in life. And it's funny, I, I saw the four things he talked about and the four things that Ashley Montague talked about in his definition of health, they match up really well. And play ends up matching up with spirituality. That's great. The other three, it seems really clear. This other one, people may not get. And we get to choose how to be in the world. And even in business, you know, people take their money very... Seriously. Guess what? People also take their money very personally and they give it very personally. So you want to be the kind of person people want to give their, give their money to. And that's someone that's fair and that can, you know, everything, it's just money. You know, it's not the most important thing. The relationship is the most important thing. And what kind of business? Everybody's got products and services that are pretty much the same. Who do you want to give your money to? Someone you like being around and someone that's light and buoyant, playful. I'd rather give my money to them, you know. Because it's more fun being around them. And I like having fun. I always wanted to. I'm going to start. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you, Bowen, for being on our podcast today. Thank you, Deb, as always. And really thankful that we've had this time. I thank yeah. you. You're to blame for this. And <laughs> you gave me such a gift when I saw your message to me from I think it was March of 19, no, it was 2000. And you said, I, I, I just, so this is a month ago, maybe, huh? Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm in France. And you, you send this message. You know, you spoke to this executive MBA class and, you know, you said what you said and in your thing and, I, and wanted to have a virtual coffee. And I wrote back and I said, you know, we both in Overland Park doesn't have to be virtual. Let's meet in person. And by the way, if I weren't already visiting my daughter in France, your message on LinkedIn would have made my day. But visiting my daughter in France, your message, and grandkids, 
Yes. You know? So five years later, I see the message. And that's instructive, folks. Think about this. You have no idea the impact you have in the world. Don't wait to feel good till you get a message from Ron. You're supposed to let it go and <laughs> on to the next person. Very good. Thank you, Bowen. Thank you, Deb. And thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.